welcome to the next episode of Spare Prat. Today we're talking about the March 2019 release, the 8th of March, which was released to coincide with International Women's Day. Together on three. One, two, three! Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the 8th of March. This evening, the date has been calculated as the 8th of March, 2019. We have been called upon by Dr. Cornelius Pinch. This fine lady is a detective of vast reputation. Good evening. May I take your name, please? Romana Dvorat Rilunda. I'm the Gallifrey and Delegate. Osgoods. Sorry, but just you try living with someone who's exactly the same as you in every way and see how you get on. Werewolves, my dear. Werewolves? By all accounts. Just an average Thursday, then. Archaeologist, orphan, born 21st June 2540, strong mind, very noisy. Who are you and what is this? The ship's currently in a low orbit just above central London, just getting a fix on the exact coordinates. My book? That's not... Take your book. Who are you and why are you pretending to be a Time Lord? Who wants to know? The real Romana. (laughs) Get off me, you flying pair of tongs! Ow! Here goes nothing. One, two, three. Big finish. We love stories. I'm just off doing a bit of, well, what you do. Except without a spaceship. Or an umbrella. Or you. Or anybody. So, Joe, as the only woman on the panel... Yes? What did you think of it? I will do all the talking. Yes. So the first release on the set is Emancipation by Lisa McMullen. Well, I have to say, it was probably my least favourite of all of the four stories. Well, you, you were river-songed out, is that what it was? It could be that. Funnily enough, I actually find it quite difficult in places to tell the difference between River Song and Leela. And at one point I got very confused as to who was cautioning who. And I was like, well, you've got a right to talk. And actually it was the other person. So <laughs> I obviously was getting confused a little bit with it. I think the story was was okay. I don't know. It kind of left me a bit lukewarm, I hate to say. Maybe I just had too much River from before. Or perhaps some of the other ones were just so much better. I don't know. This was a story that starred River and Leela. And I'm guessing, Joe, as well, that you are not that familiar with Leela. I have had some introduction, but not a huge amount. So it was quite nice to have her on her own up though. So I certainly didn't dislike the character or anything like that. I don't know, just kind of didn't sit with me as well as perhaps the last two. That's interesting. I, I quite enjoyed this one. I would, it, it wasn't my least favourite, certainly, of the set. I like the interplay between Leela and River. Um, mm-hmm. I'm maybe just a bit more used to the voices. So maybe it wasn't as much of a of a problem for me. Chris, what did you think? Because you've recently, since since the last podcast, Chris has got BritBox, who has actually now watched The Talents of Wayne Chiang and is now practically an old hand at classic Doctor Who, so no doubt is hugely wow. familiar. I mean, at this point, me and Leela are just, you know, we're buzzing, buzzing buddies. I know exactly who she is. And I've got to be honest, I'm with Joe in this one. I also have a lot more to say about it in terms of not liking it. I found the story clunky all over the shop, didn't know what it was wanting to do and it had its points. The soundtrack was great. Lots of little like, nods to classic Who sounds like the TARDIS door opening is something I just, I find joyful hearing those good old sounds like, ah, I, know, I know that sound. But it's ultimately, this, I don't think the story knew what it wanted it to be. I found the finale really just, as least you throw a whole bunch of story ideas at a wall and see what stuck. And what stuck was just really quite sad at the end. It wasn't really exactly a, a happy ending. Yeah, I think it wasn't a particularly uplifting story. And in fact, what it ties into in in my coming to not like it is, I know, actually, actually, I'll, I'll caveat that. The one reason I did quite like it was because it played on the idea that the Doctor is the only one who can really tackle a situation like this and come out on top because he can see... Mm the right points in time and space that can be altered to objectively a, a positive ending. Whereas River is just trying to sort her own mess out and it just gets worse and worse and worse to the point where like, you know, what, I've just plucked these people out of time, threw them down a hundred years later and thought, see ya. And ultimately yeah. like, nah, oh. yeah, so long friends. 
I, I kind of maybe didn't kill this woman. I kind of, again, to, so forgettable that there was a third person who was a bodyguard who was also a kidnapper, but then like fell into the time vortex and scattered to the winds. And then she got better at the end. And I just I really didn't sit well with me at all. Sorry, I may be wrong, but... Well, no, I, I think on this one, I'm let you have that opinion. You heard it here first. Stuart says I'm not wrong. <laughs> Stuart says I'm not wrong. I, I, or is he just not wrong? There's just... He's just not right. I enjoyed this one, but I think it did slightly feel like it had been put together with this in mind. And I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if this was a story that came from elsewhere or if this was commissioned especially, but it felt a little put together. Yeah, uh, so, I would say that if you're looking to see a better version of this episode, go watch a Matt Smith in The Rings of Akaten. Go watch that instead. You'll I mean, have a much better I, time. I will just say, I thought it was miles better than The Rings of Akaten, which I really don't like. Oh, I quite like that. I, like I really that. enjoy Rings of Akaten. I really enjoy it. It's actually one of the few ones that are every generation that's actually made me a bit weepy. Because of that song, wrong. it's just like, oh, oh, oh my God. That's because you're wrong. <laughs> Shut up, Stuart. Nope. So, it's not wrong with that one. Nope. So, so Doug, Thanks, you, you've, been, you've been very quiet here. What was your thoughts? Well, I'm glad you asked other people before me because I thought that I was going to be the only one that thought what the other three of you have been saying. So I haven't got a lot to add, really. I I did something different this time. I thought instead of having a first listen when I'm driving or whatever, I'll do it when I'm walking into and back from town. And that was fine. But when you get to town and you're doing stuff, then you tend to lose track. And I think all of these stories, if you miss just the slightest detail at the wrong point, you can be completely confused as to what's going on. And there were quite a few moves between locations in this story. So I didn't find it in the slightest bit gripping. I didn't really care for any of the characters. I couldn't care less whether the twins survived or not. I just had very little empathy with any of the characters. You know, the last time we were talking about the River Song, and I was surprising to most people, really positive about it. So I thought, well, the River Song one, we'll see. She's meeting Leela. That's good because, you know, I know Leela from old and be interesting to see how they interact. And uh, that was okay for me. I, I have no problem telling the difference between the voices. But the rest of it, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know if any of these stories, as you say, were commissioned specifically for this. I have a feeling they probably were. This is the only story we've reviewed so far that I actually owned before we talked about it. So I bought this when they had the Gemma Redgrave sale on. So I bought this as part of that. But I hadn't listened to it until you were doing the episode. So I was probably looking forward most to the unit story, having enjoyed the first two box sets of that I've listened to. I think thinking back after having listened to it the first time, I thought I enjoyed the other River Song stories. But I, at the time, I thought it's obviously because, you know, they they tie in nicely with old doctors and the old you know, third doctor appeared briefly. So this is a bit different. This is an old doctor character but you know in a completely unrelated setting to the rest of the stories and I don't know if that made any difference to me or not if it had been the same story but preceding something else that happened I'm, I'm not sure it made any difference not that that would have been possible but yeah I just I was just a bit meh and I'm not sure I'm not sure it was the worst of the four either but I'm not it certainly wasn't the best <laughs> no I, I see you saying there dog it just it just didn't have anything magnificent about it it just seemed to like as they bounce around it wasn't magnificent enough for you, was it? Yeah, but it's, to put a, a positive spin on it, I suppose, it was nice to see kind of where Leela had, had, has got to. She's clearly long after her stint on the TARDIS, so she's been on Gallifrey for however many years, never really aging. But you can kind of tell she's a lot more wise, a bit more, like, less, I suppose, feral to the stent degree, less savage, as she's pointed to by River. Yeah, so, I mean, the story of Leela was that she left the Doctor to stay on Gallifrey with one of the Time Lord guards, Astrid, was it? Yeah. Andred. Andred, sorry. And uh, and then I think she's been in a bunch of big Finnish Gallifrey stories along with the two Romanas, if I remember rightly. She has. Thanks for the update. I did assume that she'd stay on Gallifrey, but obviously whatever political stuff went on in the background. I didn't hate this. I thought... It maybe tried to be too complicated for its own good. It maybe tried to do that Stephen Moffat timey-wimey stuff. Mm. And I'm not sure it had the space to do that. And I think that is a problem with a 45-minute episode is that maybe it just, that might have made a really good sort of two-hour episode if it had time to expand it and give a bit more reasons and it, may, it might make a little bit more sense. But was there any bits of it that you, you particularly did enjoy though or liked? I, I picked out one quote, which is from Leela to, to River Song, which is, you have the spirit of a warrior and the hair of a two-year-old child, which I did. Yeah, I like that. That was fair. There were a couple of good ones, but I just can't remember them. I'm really sorry. 
yeah, it wasn't my least favorite one of the box. I thought it was it was fine for what it was. What I maybe thought about it was that as well that I wonder if I'd have liked it more if it hadn't been the first story, because I think you come in expecting something and it maybe falls a little bit flat there. Whereas if it was in the middle, it might not have felt so. I think so, I, I to be fair, like the interaction between Leela and River is is a lot of fun. Like the first in the first minute, there's a name drop of um River saying that she's Romana herself and as a Envoy from the Gallifrey, like, oh, yeah, I know that. Hey, cool. Nice little Easter egg. But then, yeah, it's just that their, their interactions are good fun. As a pairing, they work really well. Good cop, bad cop, and you're not sure which one's the worst cop. I mean, Lisa McMullen, because this, I think, was maybe her first one. It is worth noting as well. And I think she has written some really good stories since, some really, really good stories that she's written since. So I know she's written Survivors first. She'd written one of the early, one of the first sets of Survivors in Series 8 of that. And I think possibly a torch would. But she did unit incursions. I don't know if you've listened to that one yet. Oh, I've listened to the first two. I can't remember what they were called, but I don't know. I think I th- I'm not sure where this fell. It's obviously after the second of the box sets because they mentioned they make a reference to it in the unit one. I did love the way that the interaction between River and Leela. I thought it was very good. The episode called Emancipation. So it's trying to get away from it's. It you use that word. And it's quite a weighty word. So it's trying to figure out kind of. What's the themes here? What's the kind of the what's what's this story trying to tell? And again, it just didn't seem to know what it wanted to tell. It 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 did start off really intriguing with the you know there's the little girl who is on actually surrounded by bodyguards. There's a queen who is you know just over you can you can the matriarch that kind of like it's like high like evil queen sort of thing. You know something's going to go down. It's like okay, how are the how are our heroes going to subvert this and turn it into a positive and, and I, again as I say they just don't think that seemed to happen what, what was the emancipation what was that what was that I mean I suppose I think that maybe using I mean the, the emancipation was rescuing the two princesses the aspect that's a bit strange about it is that they emancipated them into a considerably worse position yeah arguably not a worse position because they were going to die but it was a worse position certainly for the planet freeing the princesses was not the thing to do for the, the, the good of the, the planet. And it, it was a strange one because I guess you come down to is the lives of two princesses more important than, you know, yeah, the, the planet? Is the goods of the many outweigh the needs of the few? And or the one. Or the one. Wrong franchise. <laughs> but it, it, it just seemed like when it, when it comes to that, the last 10 minutes, last big finale, when so the Queen's had centuries of power, or at least their, their family had, and then suddenly, there's all the all the people, all the subjects, yes, this is the way it's, this way it is, the way it's always been, this is what we shall do, we shall sacrifice these children, ha ha ha, and all it took was a like, couple of words, I'm like, actually no, that's a terrible idea. You know what, she's right, it's like, I just didn't find that believable in the slightest, I mean, it just, didn't, it just didn't sit right, I don't think it works to quickly wrap the whole thing up in ten minutes. You've, what's the word, completely naffed up an entire planet's history, in one big go, destroyed a monarchy in a minute. Although maybe maybe that's something that was quite unusual and therefore should be praised in that it didn't have the happy, happy ending. It didn't just work out well in the end, as sometimes Doctor Who is is wont to do. Maybe it was quite good that actually maybe the interference had a bit more of an effect and not always yeah. on a positive one. And it is kind of uh, to my point earlier about again, I'll use it as a as a positive for the episode, in that it shows that the difference between someone like River, who again is the doctor's somewhat equal, showing that you know you're not a time lord. You don't have the same sight on time and space as as she does, where she kind of goes around as as a rogue. It just shows her inexperience and immaturity to mess with time. Although, would the doctor have made a different decision? I'm I'm not I'm not sure he would have. I think it was certainly. It probably would have certainly handled it better. Or or, or, maybe, or maybe it would have been one of these moments in time where it's like, no, it's a fixed moment. This is gonna, this is how it's got yeah, to be. It probably depends on which doctor as to whether he goes, oh, oh yeah, I'm pretty much yeah, this one up. Let's pretend it's a fixed moment. I can't do anything about it and bugger off somewhere else. Or just Capaldi and his mic drop. Nah, see ya. Got it. Nah. <laughs> but well, yeah, it's so not not the most popular one in the set for everyone. Which I quite liked it. I didn't think it was amazing, and I think it suffered from being the first in the set. But I, there was a lot I liked about it. But. I'm just obviously more positive than you guys. Clearly. That's it. That's it. So let's go on for the next one then. The Big Blue Book by Lizzie Hopley. Now, obviously, this features two of my favourite Big Finish characters. It features Benny and Ace. So obviously, I think this was quite a good story. I quite enjoyed it. 
I liked it. I really did. I thought it was a lot of fun. This it did almost suffer a little bit of the same with the previous one with Emancipation. It did seem a bit not sure at times, but Ace carried the whole story for me. She was great. Benny is the the character that started Big Finish. She was the first when they couldn't get the right to Doctor Who. They got the right to Benny Summerfield, who was character from the Virgin New Adventures. So effectively, this is a story set within the Virgin New Adventures continuity. Again, you guys wouldn't have really encountered Benny, but she was very much the sort of archetype for River Song because she is a space archaeologist. I prefer Benny to River, and it's always lovely to see her with Ace. But yeah, interested to know what everyone else thought. Well, it's a shame this isn't the fourth one because this was the only one I took notes on, so that probably tells you where I ranked this one. (laughs) I thought it was the best of the four. It did something a bit different with the books, how the, what the books were. It linked in nicely. It was a bit of a mystery at first. It was my first experience with Bernie because I've never heard any of the uh, the adventures with her, but I've since bought a couple in the recent sales, so I'll get a chance to listen to some of the early adventures with her. I didn't know until we I uh, played the, the making of stuff at the end of listening to all four episodes that she and Ace had travelled in the TARDIS together, so that was news to me. But that made sense, having listened to this story, knowing that they, were, they had quite a rapport and were bantering back and forwards and... and you know, it seemed like they had some sort of a shared history, but it sounds like they had quite a, a long shared history. So yeah, I, I just lots to like in this. It was uh, the banter, the, the obvious steals from Lord of the Rings with the Gollum type character and the way it was spoken, and you know, and just some of the phrases were so close. And the what were they, the discs that they had that 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 people got as an invite, but they couldn't remember why they got them. And and Harvey, who was uh, Ace's flatmate, I think it was, he had one, and even scribbling doodles. When they went to look at to look for Bernie and her her house or flat, they found scribbles, and he could remember. He recognised the scribbles. He could remember that he'd drawn them, but he couldn't remember why. But he had this disc which was glowing, and it was cold, which is a bit like the one ring that ruled them all, or whatever. So there's just a lot of little pieces that were obviously well homages or steals from Lord of the Rings. I thought, but they they worked okay. It was an adventure that you had the Ace and companions and the TARDIS, but you didn't really have the Doctor until the very end. So. Ace had to really go for it, and this is maybe the first story where she's carried the whole plot herself. I don't know. I mean, I mean this is quite weighed down after the time she's been on all these adventures, so maybe maybe she's done that before. But it seemed like from you know how the the plot explained it that this was her sort of you know no doctors. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to find my friend. I'm going to have to find my other friend. And off she went, and uh, jolly well did it. Yeah, that's one of the things I liked about the episode was how like she took responsibility for all, all of her actions and realised just how much trouble she put herself in. I think yeah. once she turned the TARDIS into some sort of massive annual, she realised how much she's like, oh, I'm so much trouble. Like, I thought that, that was a nice little bit of character as well, wasn't it? Yeah. You, you, you make these decisions, you make a mistake, you've got to own up to it and got to solve the problem. The that certainly leads into like, the kind of the same ace we meet in Harvest, who is quite happily just to jump into a situation and just, you know, take control and, yeah. you know, we like ace. I, I I mean, as Stuart will remember, Ace wasn't my favourite companion. But I've quite enjoyed this. I think, is it two stories she's been in now that we've... we've And I think I've listened to another couple that I've uh, I've got, that I've bought during the time we've been doing these things. And yeah, I'm... The the way she played Ace this time, it's something I mentioned in Harvest. She was playing Ace much more like the young Ace from the TV series Mm -hmm. rather than the older Ace from Harvest. I yeah. did very much enjoy the impression she did of Sylvester McCoy. Yeah, that was great. That was oh good. man, yeah. yeah. There's so uh, there's so many quite a few good one liners in this as well that she that she has with uh, with Harvey. Good little little quips and jabs are quite fun. Well, it was quite nice that the uh, he mentioned that the Schrodinger's wave function to two that he had. And you think, well, what? You know, what's that got to do with the plot? And then, of course, she finds a book with that on it, and that's when she starts putting two and two together and making four. And I, yeah, I think the whole thing was nicely plotted. It it, had a, it was different. It got, you know, the TARDIS got turned into a book. Why? Well, because it's a sentient being of some description. It it seemed to tie in nicely with, you know, the Doctor Who universe without the Doctor really being there. And maybe for me, it was, you know, maybe a bit more linked to the original Who stuff than, than maybe some of the other stories were. Although they had obviously got characters from... from but actually, no, none, none of the stories were classic Who really were there, apart from... The one we just discussed. Yeah, Lilo was the only. Yeah, but no, I mean, just on my first listen, it was the one that stood out. It's the one I had most interest in keeping keeping listening to, and uh, and I saved it for the last one I re-listened to because I knew it was going to be the best of the three, and the others were going to be a struggle. 
But I thought, I'll, give, I'll give them, I think I've probably listened to them all, some man or other, when I'm doing other things about three times apart from this one. This one I've only listened to twice. I might have listened to some of them partly more times than that, but none of them dragged me in like this one did. I do very much enjoy when Benny's in anything. I think there is there is an episode where she meets River Song, which is, is a joy because obviously Benny is the prototype for River Song. Mm. She's the one who's with the unbound David Warner doctor. Ooh. We have we have a, a semi hornblower oh, uh, oh. in in writer Lizzie Hopley. So Lizzie Hopley has just let me get my IMDb up here has appeared in Holby City around about the same time as Hugh Corshi and potentially <laughs> even Paul McGann, who are both hornblowers and both also in Doctor Who. So strengthening that, very nice. But she was also in Luther, which has Paul McGann. Oh, it is. In it. So lots of hornblower there, which I did like. I really like the story and I do like Ace and I do like Bernie, Benny, Bernice Summerfield. And I like the story, but I did really struggle with when they were in, I'm not even sure what they would call it, where when they were in this space and there was a lot of sound effects and a lot of ah screaming and yes. yelling. I actually found that I, I found it very uncomfortable to listen to, not because I thought they were in any pain, but just actually. I don't know whether it was the frequency of that part of it, but I was actually like, I can't listen to any more of this. This is really quite frustrating. So there was parts of it from a sound point of view that I was actually struggling with. But I really did like the the notion of the books and the appendix of the, the TARDIS as well, when they had discovered where, where the person was hiding. It was, it was an appendix of the, of the uh, TARDIS book. I quite like that too. But yeah, it was good. It wasn't actually my favourite. But it's still a very strong contender and the hornblower helps. To your point, Joe, I think one of the things that uh, I said this about Harvest as well is that it seems that ace-centric stories, again, this is only saying there's only two I've listened to, but they seem to be very visual sort of stories mm. that if they were played out on screen or in animation or some other, some visual form, they'd make so much more sense other than yeah. trying to figure out like through screams and noises like what is not only what's happening but where is this happening because that i think to your point it was like is she in the book is she touched the page and she's hearing stuff but then she's in the book or is she in the book or is he trying to figure, find yeah. someone like i just yeah i just it threw me but very much a case just kind of just kept going and then they came out the other end and realized it doesn't actually matter there's st- stuff's happening yeah think stuff and things stuff and stuff things, and things, stuff and things being Bang, bang, boom. And then obviously a big uh, a big chime goes off. <laughs> I wonder if one of the reasons that one felt so visual is because it was an actor who wrote it. So maybe they wrote it from a visual perspective. I don't know. Just a thought. It could, it is, it could be. There's one of the thoughts I had when I was, again, this, listening to it for the first time was that it's, 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 it's more general consent, more thought on audiobooks in general. And we'll use this one, use these ones, Doctor Who, as an example, because... The ones that I started listening to when I first got into audiobooks were narrated by a single person who did all the voices, no sound effects, and there was a lot of exposition because it's that's the way it was. Yeah. And the Discworld Tony Robinson was again one of my first ones, the abridged ones, and it kind of brought me thinking the the juxtaposition between that style and when we talked about Paul McGann's first one, Storm Warning, how. He basically just ex- described everything in the screen. I enjoyed that because I could visualize it helped to bring the set together, helped help to build the scene. Whereas mm-hmm. when you've got just a bunch of screaming and a bunch of pages, it just feels like, what is what is visually going yeah. on in my head? I mean, I, all I'm hearing is screaming and it doesn't help. Yeah, it's not helping me here. No. Tell me where tell me where you're screaming. Oh no, I'm in a book. Ah! Or, oh no, I'm on a, I'm getting chased by a golem. Ah! You know, tell me what's going yeah. on. Don't <laughs> just help. scream at me. A little bit me, of but... exposition. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps gone completely the other, it's gone maybe too far the other way of maybe just not quite quite enough exposition. But yeah, I don't know whether it's just the way that they record the sound for it as well. It's, and it could, it could be an intensely personal thing, but I did, you know, when it starts like that, I kind of, turn the volume down or or skip it a little bit skip forward because it's like nothing's happening just a lot of yelling let's yeah. just move forward yeah i didn't find that such a problem i didn't it didn't you know affect my ears or anything and it, I, it was quite clear to me it was just all the different voices of all the different people in the books that were were sort of screaming and you yeah. make sense of what they were saying 
But uh, I can understand it. It might have, you know, just a lot of noise, basically, wasn't it? So I can understand how it might have affected you. I wasn't traumatized, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's slightly more off-putting, I guess. But like, I think Chris just explains just screams it in my head. Yeah. Well, so yeah, oh. one of the things I did, did like about it, and I think it is because my imagination just kind of went off on one. The what in my mind, the this library of books looked like of one half being all the people's lives and these glorious covers and stuff, and then the other half empty bo- empty books. But they, they specifically mention that what's her name, Vash Vasa, yeah, her desk is right in the middle. That as a you know, a little descriptive tool. Perfect. I can make the rest up. And I'm, I'm imagining massive high shelves, like several stories high. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is, that'd be a, that would have been a really cool set to see. Yeah. I mean, that was a nice little bit of giving you a picture, but, you know, not making it just a bunch of talk to set the scene for you. It was just, it was yeah. like one sentence, wasn't it? Yeah. And, you know, that, that, I mean, that really helped. I mean, one of the things I find difficult with these is, just generally is, you know, you've got all these monsters. If it's something that's been on the telly, then you know what it looks like. But if it's a new monster, they don't really explain what they look like most of the time. So you've got nothing to go on. You just and a lot of the, the voices aren't that, I mean, they've got a bit of echo or a bit of effect on them. But, you know, they're generally just normal voices with a bit of tweaking. They're not. Uh, and sometimes they make them so difficult to understand that you're really struggling to work out what they're saying. You know, so. But yeah, so, you know, to me, it's just, a, I've got a generic monster in my mind and they may give you a little bit of, like the, the one of the stories here is a werewolf thing. So at least there you've got a, an idea of what, I, you know, and I think they do describe, you know, to some in some degree what the what thing looked like. But Yeah, there's no one just imagining a big green blob. Yeah, well, you know, I guess how big is the blob? I, I'd imagine part of that is so that you can use your own imagination when you're trying to come up with the... Well, yeah, but you need to have some idea of what you're imagining, really, because otherwise you just end up imagining a generic monster in your mind, don't you? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> maybe it's a generic monster. I never would have had you down, Doug, for someone who only wants a monster that sparkles or something. something well, I don't want a monster that sparkles, but well, I don't know. It's a problem with the audio, isn't it? That how much description do you give to give? I mean, because I guess if you've got the CD or because you don't get the the cover of the CD on the downloads, I don't think. So if you don't have the CD, you've got what's on the website. On the pictures on the co- the front cover, at least, there's always a montage of the Doctor in front of you, even if it's not the the actor that's playing the Doctor. If it's, you know, some, like the John Pertwee one, it's got John Pertwee on it. It's obviously not John Pertwee doing the voices, and that's true of the, the early Doctors. And it's also got the column with his picture on the, the, the there. So, you know, all the other stuff's got to be fitted in around all that. Or, and, and, you know, the more they fit in, the smaller it is. So, you know, you only ever see sort of a head and shoulder shot of monsters and those pictures as well. And I don't know. I don't know if they've got more pictures on the inside of the books. I've never I've got as far as opening most of the CDs I've got because I just use the downloads. So it'll be interesting to know what you think of Bernice as, as you move on. Because our Christmas special this year, and we're only in March, but our Christmas special this year will be, oh no, it isn't, the Bernie Summerfield one where she goes to Pantoland that is just absolutely ridiculous. And I think it'll be quite good fun. I'm so looking forward to that. Well, as I said, I've got, I've got two of her early things waiting to be played at some point. So I've been working through some of the ones that I've, that I've purchased in between listening to these ones. And I have to say, most of them I've enjoyed, actually. I think to get back onto topic, one of the things I really liked about how this episode just kind of played out was just, I suppose, how strong the female cast was. And it was where it ties into the, the theme of the whole box set. It's just really well. You've got Ace taking, taking, taking control, growing up a little bit, and just, but still maintaining a lot of kind of what makes her Ace. Reference to the Nitro 9. I did, I enjoyed the, the Bernice saying, you haven't taken Nitro 9 into my office. <laughs> yes. I think I audibly chuckled at that. And I think one of the things I did quite like as well, it's, again, this was the only time the Doctors actually turned up in any of these ones, is just a brief cameo of Sylvester McCoy at the end. On the whole, then, I think this one was a bit of a success. Definitely. It's good fun. I'm interested on the next one, because I know that this is the one that Chris was looking forward to, and I know that Doug said that he there was one he disliked more than the first one, and I'm going to have a throw that it's this one. If you if if my camera was working, you'd see the biggest smirk on my face right now because <laughs> this was the one I was so stoked for. Because I am a big fan of the past Nostra gang, Strax especially, because he he need, he needs to be protected at all costs. I'm going to say, and you might say I'm wrong. I think this was my least favorite one of the box. I think you're wrong, Stuart. You you're you are wrong, wrong Stuart. You are wrong. Yeah. Utterly wrong. I'm going to get you a T-shirt this time. Stuart's wrong. Uh, no, I don't know. And I love the Paternoster gang usually, 
this one didn't quite land for me. And I don't know if it was because it was the very first time they had done an audio, because this was before they came out on the audio thing. And recording audio is different from TV, and maybe it didn't quite gel for me. But I'm going to guess, Chris, you quite enjoyed it. I did, for for great many reasons. Yes, I will stand Strax for forever. I think he's brilliant. And Dan Starkey does a... Yeah, it's not just because he's a great actor and does this role really, really well. One of the things I loved about the 11th Doctor's tenure was, and the 12th as well, was just the interaction between Vastra and Jenny. I've always loved, you know, the husband, well, the husband and wife, the wife and wife, sorry, aspect of things, the, the flirtatiousness. And it's always something I always thought could be explored a lot more. And I thought it was going to be explored more in The Crimson Horror, which is one of my all-time favourite episodes. But it Jenny didn't get enough time. I think Jenny's one of the, the best characters out of, the, out of all three of them. She's the most interesting because you want to know the backstory being how did, and it may be explored in, in an audio at some point, but how did Jenny meet Vastra? And how's that love blossom and stuff? And, you know, just it's a, it's, a, it's a far more interesting story that's never been told yet. And I've always intrigued by it. I have and, to say, none of that has any interest for me whatsoever. Never want to hear from them or see them ever again. Can't understand <laughs> why a Sontaran and a Silurian are working together. Why nobody in Victorian London in the 1890s or whenever it's set isn't running away in terror every time they see a little potato headed midget walking around or a lizard woman. I mean, <laughs> Maybe it was explained in the TV episode, but I remember at the time going, what's going on here? This is just utter... Well, they're wearing hats, Doug. They're wearing hats. Aliens don't wear hats. Dumplings with guns don't wear hats. Especially with little little dicky bow ties. Madame Vastra has a veil. I mean, that that just solves everything. Yeah. (laughs) Don't hold back, Doug. Tell us what you really think. It's fucking rubbish. (laughs) It's just... I mean, it's Doctor Who. It's science fiction. It's a fantasy. But... You're not going to really get sued. It's not going to be told what to do by a human or a Silurian, especially a war veteran. As they point out at one point in this story, he's the the hero of this and the blah 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 blah. He's a nurse. Now he can't even get a horse to do what he wants. I mean, he's a comedy Sontaran, and and the Sontarans have been ruined. Well, ever (laughs) since the two doctors, really. But no, no, even before that, the the one with the TARDIS. What was that story called? I can't remember what it's called now. Now. It is worth mentioning, Doug, the Sontarans were kind of rehabilitated a bit by Flux, which I know is not your favourite era. Scottish, so Scottish actor playing the part, not a little little English person doing a comedy version. Well, the, orig- <laughs> the original Sontaran was an Australian. He was. Evan Lindsay. Yeah. Ever since the- they started off really well. They came out, they were nice, nice costume, stomping around, a nice army of them rather than just one or two of them. And then they just... And then they just started talking and it was more comedy. And uh... Wow, this is an absolute visceral takedown of <laughs> the Bass Not Again. I rather quite liked it. What's your opinion, Joe? Well, I just might as well throw this out. I thought the music production was very nice. That was one of my highlights too. It was best of three, actually, or best of the four. I did, I actually, I did enjoy this story. I'm scared to say this now. I did enjoy the story. I thought it was reasonable to follow. I liked the the music production of it. It felt more polished, I think, for me. I do like comedy tracks, I have to say, because then I wasn't really, you know, aware of the pre- knew who Sontaran anyway, so I hadn't got anything to be destroyed in the first place. So I, I did like his, I'm acutely attuned to the female apparatus comment and his nightmare fusion suppositories. I'm going to have to adopt that as well. I didn't know it was their first one, but now you say that, that kind of makes sense a little bit. But yeah, I thought it was a nice, a nice solid piece of work. <laughs> Which I actually enjoy very much. Sorry, Doug. We've each got I, our own way into it. We've got our own view, and it's good to have a variety of discussion. Exactly. It's good to have that's different... why everybody had the same view as me of the first one, because I thought I would be the only one that didn't like it. Yeah. That's fair. Nope. Yeah. That's fair. Well, what I really enjoyed as well, the kind of the Jekyll and Hyde elements of this sort of thing, it, was, it felt like a classic horror. And a, a lot of the time, yeah. it's like, these are like a classic, it's a werewolf or were humans or an interesting. Sort of like twist on the old tale. It was it was one of those nice, like obvious switching baits because you're like, oh, he's going to be he's got an odd lab. He's going to be oh, he's obviously going to be he'll be the bad. Yeah. yeah, but then it's like, oh no, it's actually her. No, like that you could see that coming if you can pay any attention to sort of like that twisting. But do you find sometimes that's quite comforting though? I think yeah. like 
you know, I, I do like watching things where I'm thoroughly confused a lot of the time, but sometimes it's quite nice to just know that you were right and you, you spotted the thing, even though it's yeah, clearly it's... obvious it was really the thing. And to have have your suspicion confirmed in the one episode is, is nice and comforting. And I guess that's probably why we, we like some of these ones where they follow a, a slightly more traditional line. That's probably why they're popular, so they kind of confirm our cleverness for us. Yeah, it's self-gratifying. So it's like, I'm smarter than anyone else in the room. Exactly, exactly. I like dumplings with guns. Yes. I, th- I think my only down point, and I think, again, it was on the sound, and it's perhaps just because... I'm going to have to just check with my speakers as well. But, you know, very much spoiler alert. Strax is bleeding out somewhat in one of the scenes and it is very drippy. Oh, God, yeah. They, 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 turn, it, they turn it like a <laughs> valve, like an like old leaky tap. And so he's like, yeah, oh, holy oh. moly. That doesn't sound like that should be blood. <laughs> it's essence, isn't it? But what is yeah. the essence? Is it blood or is it? Something else. I don't. I. I was a bit unclear about all oh, that. Oh, that's a good. But point. it was a bit of a bit of a. You know, here we go. Of course, it is. They're doing that. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I'll, I'm going to make a point onto Doug's there because I do agree with him. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Just stop because there. The, Just stop. Yeah, I was right. I was right. Chris agreed. The point I absolutely agree with you on in that uh, this is confirmed in what we're going to talk about in the in the last story is that once again. People's essences are being stolen via Tinder. It's it just feels like a cop out in terms of okay, we need to be like oh, we need to steal something from a, a person to make them vulnerable and sad and dying. Eh, essence, why not essence? If you're drinking the essence of a stone taran, which is blatantly a potato, is it a can of vodka thing? Do we think? Could be. Yeah, yeah carbs. I mean, that's a, that's a ton of carbs. Oh, God, could you imagine? Yeah. Maybe that's why she died at the end. She just had too much carbs. <laughs> Big potato belly. Yeah. I will say that I actually, tracks is one of the things I enjoyed about this episode. I think well, Dan Stark is a good actor for putting it across, but I I just don't agree with the, the, the comedy direction. Don Tarrant, really. I don't know why I didn't like this one as much. And maybe it was because it felt like something that had been done before. I think that's maybe a fair point. It does sort of feel like plot-wise, I've seen this in something else or it's similar to well, something I think else. It, yeah, it's, well, it's Jekyll and Hyde to a degree, isn't it? You know, just drink something, disappears behind the sofa, comes up with a hairy face. That's been done loads of times in different ways. I mean, to me, it, it was the sort of thing that in the Philip Hinchcliffe era would have been run really well. But in this, I didn't think it was done very well. It was just sort of that sort of story by numbers that didn't stand out. One of the things I did think about the episode when it was kept going on about werewolves and stuff, I thought it might actually have tied into the second episode of the Tenth Doctor's episode with a Tooth and Claw, with those kind of werewolves. Well, that was Queen Victoria time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great episode. One of my favourite ones and one I go back to quite a lot. I thought it might have tied into that. It didn't, which was... But it did, actually. It might into it. It would certainly give more context. I think one of the things I did I like about this episode in general, and I've said this already, like it's the the expansion of like Nugget Cannon. So like little like character interplays again, like Jenny and Vastra, Strax and his horse. And but that, that whole bit of okay, let, let's let's take a, a familiar a, a little known baddie. I'll, I'll literally a one and done from Tooth and Claw and let's expand that the Empire of the Wolf a little bit, which would be kinda cool. I'm going to go back to something I said in the first episode and that I wonder whether they were trying to put a bit too much into a 45-minute episode and it feels like there was maybe a bit more background that could have been explored that might have made it a bit more coherent for me. I did enjoy lots of it. I mean, it's really difficult and I think it's something that's important to note on this that I feel, and I know Doug might feel differently on this one, but I think when I don't like something in this, it's not necessarily always because it's bad, it's because the quality of Big Finish is often so good that I have higher expectations than I might have. And that sometimes I think this stuff, even the bad stuff, is better than a lot of the TV stuff that's been put out. I've got pretty low expectations after the TV stuff recently, I have to say. Doug the Grinch is back. I would like to end my bit on saying I didn't like the last five minutes because it just wrapped itself up far too quickly. Well, this is what I was saying. I wonder if this would have felt a bit more comfortable as a slightly longer episode where you had chance to explore a few more things. It did feel a little bit like it was, oh, and that's it finished. We've we've rescued Strax and he's he's okay. And yeah. The fact that he got yeah. the lady the girl Daisy just adamant in her conviction that yeah, you're you you Jenny are better than all the upper class knobs and all that kind of stuff. And that's very much her on things, understandably so. 
similar to oh, kind of watch your face from Chimes of Midnight. But yeah, that's sort of similar similar idea. And then just like, oh, you oh, you do really love her. Oh, well, I guess I'll die then. Too much yeah, there's a, there was a little bit sort of love will save the day, and that's it. Yeah, uh, love lifts us up where we belong. That might be why I had no interest in the episode because I really don't. That none of that. You're got, not a romantic, nope. are you, Doug? Well, none of that's got anything to do. That's that's EastEnders and stuff like that that I don't watch. I don't want to see all this in Doctor. Who. I don't watch Doctor Who for no hanky panky in the TARDIS. That was the quote I think that's from uh, no hanky panky from JNT. No, I mean it's interesting you're talking about if it had a bit longer because. I don't think any of these episodes are much over an hour long and you can fit up to 80 minutes on a CD. So they, I, I don't know if they aim to have all these stories about an hour. I think the, tar- the, the unit discs are about 45 to 50 minutes each from what I remember. But they do, they're not all exactly the same length, but even you know, within a few minutes even. But these vary between about 53, I think was the, the well, I, I didn't notice all the times. And an hour and one minute is the, the one I've got in, which is might be the extras actually. But they've got, they have the, the, the time available if they had the script written. So I, don't, I think it's the script that's the issue, not the... I guess that's what you really want to put into the script. I think it's the main thing. Because obviously, I, I think you and I, Doug, come at this sort of thing from two completely different aspects. You want the, the, the sci-fi classics or just kind of a... Well, no, I don't usually want the sci-fi stuff. I don't mind historical stuff and whatever, but... No, I no, just... But I'm just... This means like, I, I personally, like when I, again, why I like Jenny and Vastra is because... I want to see that sort of more intricate human story together that's in the midst of a big old werewolf fight or whatnot. That's the bits I, I kind of latch onto. Like, I guess why I get, I care about the characters is that I want to see that stuff played out mid sword fight. Cause I think that's it. I think I, I find that entertaining. That's just, that's just me. But I like, I like that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, character, it's characterization without having to go into like a full blown soppy dialogue and just like mm. yeah the last story was Narcissus by Sarah oh now I've got to try and pronounce this Groshala I'm not sure if I pronounced that right apologies if I have mispronounced you and this is a unit based story and as we mentioned earlier it's set after the version of the Zygons the no, version, Zygon version, after, after the season the, after the 12th Doctor episodes that involve the two Osgoods and I Quite liked it. I enjoyed it. But again, I'm a bit more used to this unit team. So I know who Jackie McGee is. I know who Carter is. So I was wondering what everyone else thought of it. Doug's maybe got a bit more of an advantage on this one too. Yeah, so obviously I, I've listened to the first two box sets, which for those that haven't listened to them, there are four discs or, or one story over four, I guess, roughly one hour episodes. So there's two stories I've heard so far on the second of those is referenced towards the end of this episode. So it's obviously set after those. So I knew the characters and it was quite obvious to me that they'd obviously had a few more adventures since the first two I'd listened to, and which makes sense with the, the, the timeline with the two Osgoods. It was a little bit confusing having two Osgoods and two of the journalists because obviously the Zygon can change. So the, the Zygon did the, 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 the dangerous work and real Osgood went in and solved the issue at the end. Oh, spoiler alert. But, you know, it's all about dating and lovey dovey <laughs> stuff. Oh, I forgot we did. We've established it. <laughs> so, uh, that, uh, you know, when that one, yeah, and, and you know, it starts off with one of the unit guys <clears throat> on a date with a woman who presumably is looked something like somebody from his past that he had a thing for, which you learn about much later in the story. So, you know, that was, that was the start to it. Oh, okay. Because I, I was kind of looking forward to it. It was the one I thought I was going to enjoy the most, having listened to some of the unit stuff. It. I, I guess probably it was the second most favourite one of the four for me because of my investment in the, the previous unit stories, I guess. But it didn't really grip me in the same way that, that they have. And then, you know, there over four episodes as well. This was one quarter of the length and a much more compact story, less globe trotting, but no globe trotting. In fact, they barely got out of the central London, I think. I think this one was the, probably the best paced of all four, of the four. So as you say, Doug, it's basically it's straight linear. There's no bouncing around space time or the location, but it's very much a straightforward. People are going missing. Let's go investigate. And yeah, simple as that. Yeah, don't need to muck around with the formula. Let's go straight, straight line. What I did find interesting was as to your point of the the two Osgoods. I was quite chuffed from those two Osgoods, and in my head, I I it was weird, but I could picture who was who if that makes sense. I knew which one was be the Zygon, which one was the 
I think yeah. there was some difference in the way they did the voices for the two different characters. Just some something very subtle, or maybe I was just imagining that. But no, 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 totally. I, I that's the same thing. That's why I managed to, to to quite enjoy it that way because you could pick out one was quite the was stronger of character and the way she spoke, the way she came across, and was as opposed to the more the human Osgood who had a bit more bit more reserved, bit more on. She was sure, sure of herself what she do, what she was doing, but to the point where like. It wasn't like sort of a take action. It was more of a, I just know my shit. Yeah, I think the uh, arguing at the start helped set that up as well. Just the, because uh, I was wondering, oh, it was like, great, two Osgoods. It's bad enough with two completely different humans, me telling them apart. But actually, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> I don't know, I can tell them apart. This is okay. Yeah, it was a bit confusing to begin with, because I don't mm. think it was pretty much straight into two Osgoods, wasn't it? Apart after the, the yeah. up thing, it was straight into two Osgoods. And that sort of threw me because I'd, I'd kind of forgotten that there was the Zygon Osgood in that one episode. I think it was just one episode, wasn't it? That, that, yeah. That was the second Osgood. Although I was wondering how, and this is maybe something that's hint that and you who and I've sort of missed, is Doug will know this because he'll have watched Terror of the Zygons, where the person they were duplicating had to be plugged into a machine. Yep. And couldn't be just wandering around. Whereas in this case, they almost just had to look at Jackie McGee and they could turn into her. For the background, for the, the, the Chris and Joe, maybe, I don't know if you've listened to any of the, the, the unit audios, but Jackie McGee is, gets more involved with unit, I think, as the stories progress. More, even after the ones I've got, the, yes. the impression I'm getting. So she's yeah. kind of not part of unit, but she's much closer to them. I mean, she starts off in the first one as an investigative junk journalist trying to, you know, make public what they're up to. With. Well, it's, it's even say in the in the story, Kate refers to as, as a specialist consultant of some sort. It's it, it, it starts in the, 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 the audio series, but that's how she yeah. got to. Yeah. That's quite, that's quite nice, because it kind of reminds me of the, the old, you know, NCAS, CSI sort of stuff, where it's very much procedural, you know, police dramas to, to a certain degree, where you do have the outsider who comes in. Again, it, going back to the whole kind of comfort and formula, it just depends how you do it and how you pull off with your different your actual stories and plots. But certainly the character dynamics of having an outsider coming into your kind of core group. I mean, at this point with New Who and Old Who, obviously with, with Unit as, a, as an entity, you kind of know the, the basics of who people are. Like if, if you didn't know who Osgood was, you certainly know who someone who's called Stuart with their last name is going to be referencing to the Brigadier. I'm going to say that one of the things I have a real issue with when I listen to this and it's something I, I guess that I think is a bit of a problem amongst Hollywood in total and, and, and all things is the idea that Ingrid Oliver is anything other than absolutely stunning. Yeah, that just, is kind of weird. Just yeah. like, oh, she she's put glasses. glasses on. Yeah. Oh, she must be hideous now. I've met Ingrid Oliver and she is absolutely stunning. And I know that there is, Osgood isn't sort of played in that way, but I, I find it difficult to believe that Osgood could have reached the, the sort of pinnacle of where she has in that in an, in an organization like unit and not have that kind of confidence because that feels like you'd need to have that in the military to, to move forward yeah is, is it, i think it's just the the suppose the dispelling of disbelief that's where you kind of have to invest in you know suspend your disbelief sorry and that's okay let's take that as as face value and and that's what the t that's what the show is trying to just tell you that this person has low confidence and maybe they are just really good at their job. And everyone else, I said, Kate recognizes that and brings her up without necessarily having to completely, like, constantly like, pump her ego. I think whereas, Zygon, whereas Zygon in Osgood probably has confidence in spades because she's a Zygon. I mean, I think it was interesting that Kate did, you know, the, the sort of vulnerability of Kate just for a second, I think, was quite an interesting thing to see. But I did enjoy this one. I I really like the unit team. I like... Carter, I like I like Osgood and I like Kate Stewart. I did, I think um, Gemma Redgrave, who I thought was a little bit shaky in the first couple of units in terms of her acting. It's not that she can't act; it's that you you act differently for audio. But I think she's really got it now, and I think she it maybe took her a couple of stories in the way it took John Barham in a few stories before. I think he sort of captured that voice on audio. But so they're, I, they're quite like physical actors for that sort of thing. You can you're yeah, stuck I, in a wee booth, and you can't exactly kind of. Well, I, I I can't imagine what John Barman would be like in a booth doing his best Jack Harkness with like if you you'd feel constrained, surely. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's the thing about Kate is it's kind of her presence that is part of why she works so well. She's quite yeah. calm, and you know she's got this kind of. I mean, she does. She is a good person to portray the Brigadier's daughter because I think she's got a certain similarity in style. Yeah, the stoic swagger of just being able to walk into a room and. 
when she uh, pops up in the Black Archive in the 50th and is like, yeah, I own this room. Even though you look like me, I own this room. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the wrong K. Yeah, you know exactly who's what. It was it was fun and it was interesting and I do like that unit team. So did you enjoy it then, Chris? Yes, I did. I really did. I think as a story, I think this was the strongest of the box set. You know, this is my is my putting my practical hat on my non my non Strax hat. Yeah, I, think <laughs> I, I want did, to see your Strax hat <laughs> next time. Next time, I promise. <laughs> yeah. So like, in terms of the the pacing was. You know, it worked in an hour. There was no kind of real lull. There was a nice sense of pace and mystery. Once the everything started kicking off, it made sense. So, Doug, what did you think of it then? As a well, other than the fact that you know the background, the story idea had no interest to me at all. I, yeah, you know, I, I was as I say, it was the second, the second favorite of the four stories. And yeah, there was good banter and stuff. But it just, yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot to say about it. It was okay. It was. It wasn't as good as the two full stories I'd listened to. But it, you know, as 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 uh, you've already covered, it's it didn't wrap itself up very quickly at the end, and uh, it, it sort of paced itself well. It won't stop me listening to more unit stories. I think the unit texts are good. I think they are nice little things. It's kind of like Torchwood. Yeah. Without having without having to you know go down the whole series one of Torchwood being you know blood guts and sex drugs and rock and roll. Gemma Redgrave, Semi Hornblower, Holby City. So yeah, on the whole, then. It sounds like this is a bit of a mixed bag of people's thoughts on this one. I liked all of it, but it isn't the greatest release. There's an in, it, it's a second International Women's Day release for Big Finish. The year before, they released something called Attagirl, which is a Big Finish original about the ATA girls in the Second World War, the people who flew the planes. And it's really, really good. It's a really nice thing. This, whilst I enjoyed it, I don't know whether this was a series of stories that were didn't have another home that were put together or if they were specifically written for this. But I felt a lot of them didn't have enough time to breathe. They didn't quite pull out as much as I would have liked. The writers, I think, all did a, did a pretty good job with what they had, but I'm just not sure it gelled for me. Didn't feel like there was a coherent narrative running through it. And I think that I, I quite like it when a box set has like an arc or something that links it all together. So I think I maybe find it a bit more tricky because of that. But then if we're talking about it being like specifically for International Women's Day and it's a case, it's not a case of like, so it's more of a showcase, not cohesive arc. Yes. I then think- we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to change the perception of how we're, how we're like consuming this. Yes. I think, set. I think you're right. I think we are looking at it out of context. We're looking at it as not maybe the way it would have been looked at when it came out. We're also looking at it, or I'm looking at it certainly with the, the, like the Paternoster gang. Cause I, I, remember enjoying it much more when I listened to it for the first time four years ago. And I'm wondering if that's because I hadn't had an, a Benny and Ace story in a while. I hadn't had a Paternoster Gang story at all. Unit was still quite new and then the Leela River was quite, you know, the river was reasonably new at that point. So I'm wondering if there was a certain amount of, of fatigue almost for me. Okay, that's fair. I would have said I for me, the way I, I'd probably say the way I, I took it, it seemed, obviously the focus was going to be on the, the female leads for the cast. So let's take it as individual stories. The River and Leela team up are, you know, two very strong women, very strong-minded women dealing with a situation. And again, with a with a something with a title that invoked quite a potential serious subject that just can, as a story, completely failed to meet the mark. As far as I'm concerned, that's a that was a really harsh thing to say. But in terms of like showing those female characters in strong positions, then definitely. It worked with the past gang, as I said. I, I really enjoyed the the interplay between Jenny and Man Vasha. I think that relationship, the certainly the le- lesbian married couple of relationship, is a very interesting dynamic, which I again I really enjoyed in the show and wanted to see a lot more of. So listening to this was a joy, and getting to see more of that, seeing the, the flirtatious flirtatiousness between them, and just getting a bit more, just getting to know them better. And having a dumpling with a gun is a comedy foil. Added that little bit extra with the unit one. I love the idea of the concept of being about a, a messed up Twitter called that's based around neuroses. That's just tickles take, take my fancy. And showing all as good as, uh, as, as, as showing everyone to have that. Oh, what's what I looking for? That crack in their armor. Say Kate having to you know drop her guard for a little bit to she realize that that's how she has to get out because that is actually show of strength to not be have your guard up all the time. You know to let yourself 
feel your feels and all that kind of I'm missing one. Which one am I missing? Oh, Ace. Oh, Ace was, uh, that was just fun. That was just a lot of fun. Yeah, that was the one I liked. Sorry. No, yeah, I just I just really I liked it that much. No, that was that just seemed a lot of fun. That just seemed a lot of fun and good to see just Ace coming into herself and first time I ever met Bernie. Yeah. I'm happy to stick around for, to see to listen to more of her. And in terms of in terms of the a whole box about International Women's Day, I think if we're looking at it as four strong female-led stories, yes, the leads in this were all excellent, and it'd be interesting to see what another one listens like. Yes, I think I think that's fair. I think I should also say, given that it's International Women's Day and Joe is silent, that Joe has had to leave us. So, so I just wanted that we're not just speaking over Joe and kicking her out for International Women's Day <laughs> all the times. Oops, <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think it's maybe a mistake to view this in the way that we have been doing because I don't think it's fair to view it as for individual stories that you know it, it is a, a set of linked stories with strong female leads and i think yeah it does definitely deliver on that for me my least favorite was the paternoster gang one which apparently i am wrong you are wrong you're um, you're wonderfully wrong that's all you're you're one wonderfully wrong and i think my favorite one is probably the ace and benny one because it's ace and benny and i and that's I a fair, listen that's to fair. sort of bantering the ones i've enjoyed most have been the classic who doctor so far or you know the River Song one, which really surprised me. And I was a bit surprised that I didn't, because you know, I would say that the River Song and Leela one was probably the one I enjoyed least. And it was the first one, which didn't set me up well for the next three that I was going to have to listen to. Second, third best, shall we put it that way? <laughs> Be positive about it. Third best is probably the Prater Noster gang one, cause, just because of my not liking them from the first Your time. version to, to Dumplings. And the comedy Sontar, which just doesn't ring true with Sontar. And then it's the unit one, which I thought I would enjoy the most. But uh, I think the Ace, the Ace and Bernie one, I, 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 that was surprised to me because I, I had no idea what Bernie was going to be like as a character. Because I don't think I've heard on anything that I've listened to so far. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm growing into the Ace character now. I have to say, I'm going to have to explore some of the Sixth Doctor stories, but not the ones maybe with Bonnie Langford in. But apparently, well, she's really good in the audios. So yeah, again, again, maybe I need to give Bonnie another go. Done, it's done a. <laughs> Really good job of rehabilitating. Although it's much easier to rehabilitate Bonnie Langford when she isn't having to scream every five seconds. So on the whole, then yeah, it was success for some more than others. I think it's fair to say it's only achieved. It's only achieved the objective of showcasing a strong cast of female-led stories for International Women's Day. So this brings us on to our next one, which is a non-International Women's Day one. And Chris, it's your choice. It's Matern. So. Ahead of the 60th anniversary in November, I think it's about time we got to meet the Doctor and Donna on the first series of their adventures through Big Finish. So yeah, this this will be a good one. This is uh, Doctor Who, the 10th Doctor Adventures, Volume 1. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, the 10th Doctor Adventures. Brilliant place! An entirely mechanical planet. Catch, hitch, fuel, fix, buy, pretty much any kind of transportation in existence. This empire's a massive leap in user-friendly tech. Meadow Digital's ahead of the game on the chipsets. Quadruple core nano circuits and a sleek, sexy designer package. Ultra thin. Look, you're talking, but it's all geek to me. Can we go? Yeah, I suppose. Running a mock. Donna, we're on. Remain where you are. Bex, grab my hand. Go, Donna. One of us needs to. And I just can't. Come on, if you're common. Don't want to dislocate a shoulder for nothing. Do not run. We require test subjects. Ah, there it is. Vagabond's Reach, Tavern of Taverns, most feared social environment in the galaxy. You've never been up Sugar Hut on a Tuesday. You don't know everything about me. Ready? Is this the front door? They don't even have bouncers. Yeah, basically, think of them all as bouncers.
saying? They fizzled in somehow, like the TARDIS. Yeah, transmat from another dimension. The, the, the TARDIS doesn't fizzle. It's more of a... Thank you for everyone, and thank you to Joe in her absence, who has actually recorded a goodbye, so I will insert that here. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Happy Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day, everyone. Yeah, enjoy 2023's International Women's Day.